From the band that brought you such critically acclaimed and listener-lauded records as Respect in You and Respect in Yule comes the brand new album Respect in You, recorded in front of a live studio audience at Greenwich House Music School. Head on over to respectsextet.bandcamp.com to download this and many other Respect titles, including the also brand new Respect Trios album, Respect the Trio, we says. The Jazz Session listeners can use the discount code TJS to get 10% off your total order. I'm Bernie Crane. I'm John Crane. You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane, our dad. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 453 for May the 4th, 2015. Happy Star Wars Day, everybody. (laughs) On today's show, pianist Red Wiranga. Are you supporting the Jazz Session? Membership costs five bucks a month. It gets you MP3s and other exclusive content, and your five dollars goes directly toward keeping all of the episodes online. 453 of them so far. That takes some pretty extensive server space and some pretty impressive bandwidth for all the downloads that happen. And so if you could help me by kicking in five bucks a month, I would be forever grateful. Please rate the show in iTunes and review it positively, if you would. Thank you very much. If you are a fan of stand-up comedy or would like to hear even more of me talking, head over to firstlaughs.com. It's my stand-up comedy podcast. It charts the beginning of my stand-up comedy career, career in quotes. Also, don't forget to visit jasoncrane.org for poetry and essays and other things. And if you need some PR work done for your album project or maybe some new text for your website or you're going on tour and you need a press release, visit cranewrites.com where I do exactly that sort of thing. I've known pianist Red Waringa now for, I don't know, it's got to be 15 years or so. And uh, during all of that time, he's been involved in the Respect Sextet. They, of course, uh, provide the theme music for this show. And as you heard at the very top of the show, they have new records out. And that's what we're here to talk about today. There are three new albums, a Sextet recording, a trio recording, and then Red and guitarist Ryan Ferreira have a duo recording called Figure. We're going to hear music from all three of those on today's show, starting with the Respect Sextet. Thank <laughs> you. 
My guest is pianist Red Warenga from the Respect Sextet and now the Respect Trio. And uh, welcome back to the jazz session, Red. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for having me. Well, it's pretty exciting. Uh, the the Respect organization, I guess, has two uh, brand new records out. Respect and You recorded live at Greenwich House Music School, and then a trio record uh, with the longstanding rhythm section from the Sextet called Respect the Trio. We says, was there any particular thought behind putting two records out at exactly the same time? Was that or flooding the market? Is that the idea? Yeah. Um... Something like that. I, I think the main idea was that uh, we had recorded both of these albums several years ago, and for various reasons, uh, they just were not getting out. Um, so, yeah, generally, it just took a bit of um, uh, a bit of effort to commit to the project, set a deadline, and then miss it by a year and six months. Um, <laughs> uh. Well, well said, sir. Yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't really see that coming, and I it hit me kind of funny. Uh, so the it's interesting because these two records, it's actually I think great that they came out at the same time because I think they were a really cool complement to one another. And maybe it's just because it's the most recent full band record, but I think Respect in You might be my favorite so far of the full sextet albums. And are you okay? Are you still alive? Uh, yeah, that was actually Misha Mengelberg, the cat, who was jumping onto the <laughs> piano bench. Um, Fabulous. But he's okay. I'm okay. No. Okay, that's good. Um, and I mean, I wonder, maybe what I'm just hearing is, you know, the the reality of a band that's played together for more than a decade, and it just you, you can just hear the intimacy and the complete connectedness on this record. But, I mean, do you feel like you guys are at a place where – where there's kind of not not very much more guesswork in this band? Um, you know, we still like to uh, to throw surprises at one another. But, yeah, I think there's uh, certainly a, a very high level of familiarity. Um, and uh, one thing about this record that maybe stands out in contrast to the previous few is that, obviously, it's a live record. And uh, we started as a live band. You know, our, our formative uh, experiences were playing every week, um, you know, Java's coffee shop in Rochester. And so we developed a way of, of playing in a live uh, acoustic and uh, feeling free to do things that really don't make much noise and uh, that really um, make one listen closely and carefully. Um, and, and so we're really at home in a good sounding room where we can be really quiet and you can hear all the detail or we can be loud. Um, we can really vary the dynamic spectrum. Um, and that's one thing that comes across in this record, I think. Yeah, and I actually was uh, was at this show, um, as I remember. And uh, the one of the things I really dig about the room is that it feels to me kind of like an old-fashioned New England church or something almost. It's like it's very woody and it just – it sounds warm and it just – it feels like you're right you're right in there. I mean as I, as I remember it was – you know kind of warm and it i mean it just it just felt like a real it didn't feel like kind of the antiseptic like we're 50 feet from the band and you know we're just watching them there they are and here we are it felt more like everybody was kind of in it together if that makes any sense yeah absolutely i mean that that might be one of the benefits of of real estate in new york is that so there are oftentimes pretty small uh rooms and, and you can play acoustically um this particular room has a real uh real storied history um, and the Greenwich House Music School in general has a real storied history with 
um, you know, people like Edgar Varez uh, walking the halls. And um, so they also do a lot of chamber music performances in this place. And I think it's great acoustic that works really well for classical music as well as jazz, you know, things with the bass and, and drum set uh, work. And it's still warm enough to uh, to make, you know, a, a string trio sound good. Tell us about the repertoire on this album. Sure, yeah. Um, this, uh, this material largely, uh, I guess it was uh, music that we'd been playing for a few years for the most part at this point, and we're pretty comfortable with it. Uh, we had a few new pieces um, uh, thrown in there. Um, several of the, the tunes actually come from a longstanding project that we call the Executive Suite. Um, and the idea from that particular suite uh, came from a period of time when several of us were working as temps at Bear Stearns. And uh, I, I swear that we had nothing to do with the, the downfall of Bear Stearns. <laughs> um, some of us had to deal with the aftermath a little bit. I was working in HR at the time. But um, we would uh, communicate uh, occasionally um, while we were working there. And one of the, the things that we would communicate would be funny tune titles. Um we had a spreadsheet of uh, maybe 130 so um, funny tune titles, and gradually we started writing the tunes to go along with those titles. Um, many of the titles here uh, somehow related to uh, corporate world in um, the mid-aughts um, and sort of the, the um, financial crisis and, and whatnot. So um, several of these pieces... Uh, I guess come from that particular suite, one of which is Ivan Island, um, my tune. Um, uh, Blame it on I, my lutes on there. Blame it on my lute, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I'm just going to take a minute and look at the back of this virtual CD <laughs> and, uh, and see what we actually put on the record. Um, believe it or not, not everything that we recorded that night made it to the record. We, we did two full sets um, and yeah, one of the the fun things uh, before putting out the record was just calling it and, you know, uh, finding things that we all uh, thought were good performances and went with uh, the other uh, pieces. So, right. Um, and is there any way in which these pieces that that came out of this time when when you many of you were working at Bear Stearns, is there any way in which they're a commentary on what happened or is it just a funny coincidence that you had a lot of corporate related titles because of what you all did for a living? Uh, Definitely, uh, definitely a little bit of both. Um, sometimes I talk with with people, and um, you know, some people might might get the humor and not see a serious side uh, of of things. Um, and yeah, I think a strength about the uh, about the band in general is that we're able to do things that might have a sense of humor and might uh, allow people to to approach the music um, in a way that. Uh, one might not if we didn't have a, a little smirk occasionally. Um, at the same time, yeah, there is a little commentary here. Um, uh, many of us felt conflicted about uh, e even working uh, at Bear Stearns when we were there. Um, but at the same time, it allowed us to um, you know, spend the rest of our time making music. Um, so, yeah, there, there certainly is maybe a bit of a message. I'm not necessarily going to be really overt in um, saying exactly what that message is. But, yeah, I, I'd say there's a little commentary as well as a little um, humor there. At this point, are the 
are the arrangements of these pieces are they things that happen kind of organically over time or are are each of you bringing in completed arrangements is it a is it a mixture of those things yeah i would say it's a it's a mixture um many of the the pieces uh in their notated form are uh pretty bare bones um there might just be a sort of an equivalent of a lead sheet with uh, a melody and maybe some chords and then the overall form will come out of just um playing that a bunch of times and maybe settling into something or maybe deciding that we'll do something new each time um yeah so for the most part i think the forms of these pieces uh, uh grew organically just from uh performing over uh, a period of time you are are so busy and uh, and continue to be so busy musically and in many different projects is it has it proved to be a challenge to keep respect together as an entity it has been a challenge Uh, perhaps uh perhaps it's been the most challenging in the past year or two uh ted poor um moved a little bit uh say uh, a year year and a half ago um, to Seattle, so he is still in New York occasionally, but is primarily in Seattle. Um, so it's not as easy to just uh, call everybody up and and schedule a, a rehearsal. Um, Malcolm Kirby, our bassist, uh, moved last year to Los Angeles, um, and so yeah, it has been a challenge. We've done several gigs with um, with other musicians. Uh, our most recent gig at Greenwich House Music School. We had Dan Loomis playing bass and Devin Gray playing drums. Um, so, you know, in order to keep the band working, sometimes uh, you do have to, to to have other people play. Um, and that's a challenge. You know, it's, it's sometimes a, a fun challenge. Um, 
because there's a, a little cat and mouse game uh, about uh, how much respect in jokes we're using, how much um, are, are the other musicians picking up on that, how much are we going out of our way to um, to make it comfortable for, for the other musicians or not. Um, so, yeah, certainly it has been a, a bit of a challenge, especially lately, um, just keeping everything going, playing regularly, uh, whatnot. I remember uh, on like the second date with the the person I eventually married, I think on the second time we ever talked was at a gig that I was playing. And my one of my best friends from high school came to that show. And I hadn't seen him in, in years. He was in the Marines at this point, And he happened to be stationed not far from me in Arizona. And so the she and this guy and I were sitting at a table on the set breaks of this gig. And I just remember that he and I had so many in-jokes and references to things she couldn't possibly know anything about. And she and I had only just met a few weeks ago. And I thought, man, this is like the worst, the worst possible way to introduce her to me is by introducing her to me via this relationship with my equally obnoxious friend just going a mile a minute things she can't know anything about and i was i bring that up because it strikes me that respect has been together so long now and you all have uh not the same but kind of similar senses of humor there must be so many like you said in jokes and kind of musical cues and things that are just second nature to you that must be a real challenge for somebody new to come in and and just play one show yeah i would imagine so um there are certain jokes that we do that it's basically irrelevant if someone else catches them or not. Um, Some things that we just do so often that they're basically just uh, winks to to each other. Um, In general, I find it works really well if if, um, whatever guests are playing with us bring as much of their personality as possible. Um, I think it's a natural tendency if you're playing in a new group, especially a group that has been around for a long time, to sort of uh, defer and um, maybe be a little bit in the background. And especially for for rhythm section musicians, it's really important in respect if you just really uh, be forthcoming and uh, put as much of your personality into the music as possible.
I, I want to s- switch now, if we can, and, and talk a little bit about uh, Respect the Trio, we says, the uh, the album made up of you and, and Malcolm Kirby and Ted Poor. Uh, this, for one thing, I'm super glad this record even exists, because I, I love this this rhythm section, this the trio inside the sextet. I, it's just, it sounds so good. It's, it feels like, yes, this definitely should have happened, and I'm really glad that it did. And can you talk a little bit about the, the impetus for making a trio record? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, thanks for the kind words. Um, Malcolm and Ted and I have been playing together, oof, I think I put this in s- s- one of the, the press releases, one of the many press releases that I sent out <laughs> for this record. Um, uh, we're, we're all from the Rochester area originally, and um, we started playing together, um, boy, I guess it was um, 16, 17 years ago. Is that right? No, longer. I'm much older than I thought I was. Um, <laughs> it's been it's been almost 20 years since we first played together, um, and so obviously we have a really long history. And then of course playing with respect for the last uh, 14 or so years, um, and we're we're of course all really good friends. Um, and the the media impetus for for doing this trio record was that uh, there were a number of uh, sextet gigs um, five four years ago. Uh, that would at some point inevitably uh, uh, just sort of come down to uh, a piano trio, um, free improvisational section or, or whatnot. And oftentimes those were quite long, quite extended and quite involved. And after a few of these uh, gigs at which this happened, we said, you know, we should really record a trio record. Um, and so we just set a, a date and each of us wrote a few tunes um, and we recorded it in uh, half a day. Uh, we recorded two albums in this day. Um, one was the, uh, yeah, I'm with Ryan Ferreira. So it was nice to actually sort of do it old school, one day, two albums. One of my favorite uh, Red Waringa stories, you know, of my my bevy of Red Waringa stories is uh, I remember one year at the Rochester uh, International Jazz Festival, there there was always a, a jam session uh, at a hotel whose name I can't even remember at this point. doesn't matter. Anyway, there was always a late night jam session at a hotel led by guitarist Bob Snyder. So after all the shows would end, the, the shows in the festival, many of the musicians would go down and they would play in this jam session. And so I remember one year I was there and somebody called what you know some the the super standard i mean you know it's like cherokee level jam session tune and you were playing piano i don't even i don't think it was cherokee but it was something equally as as chestnutty as that and when it came to your solo you kind of tore the song apart until essentially everyone else stopped and and it was you just playing this incredibly inventive and really um, I don't know, kind of like a, a microcosm of the piece. All these really uh, minute little chunks of this song kind of exploded into a larger form. And I remember thinking while I was watching this, first of all, that it was amazing. And I, I was it's always been one of my favorite things about ever seeing any show at the Jazz Festival. And I say all that to say that in the case of playing with Malcolm and Ted, when you dive down into the structure of something, they go with you. And at I mean, that, I can only imagine that that is a great feeling as a as a musician. 
Right. Absolutely. It's, uh, again, I think it comes from a place of, of having no fear of, of accepting, um, all possible, uh, inputs and, uh, and being really strong with what you put out yourself. Um, yeah, I remember that that jam session too. I think it may have even been giant steps that yes, we were playing. I think you're exactly right. Yep. And and I I was elated during my solo, and then towards the end of it, as people were sort of dropping out, I was I was totally aghast. I thought, am I ruining this? Um, and I, I think it was actually Matt Wilson who was playing drums, and the way that he came back in at the end of my solo, um, just said, oh, this is okay. He's, he's, he's helping me out. He's picking it up here. Um, so, but in a jam session situation, you don't know that that's going to happen. Um, or, you know, you, you're wondering why are people dropping out? Are they dropping out because they, they don't like what I'm doing or, um, they don't know how to contribute or so certainly in, in a group like the, the respect trio with Ted and Milk, where we have such a, a long history, um, we know that we're always going to, to, um, contribute something to react um, or ignore another person and that's going to be okay um yeah there's there's definitely a a real uh level of comfort you know we usually um it's it's kind of i guess a hackneyed at this point but when we talk about long-standing groups we usually talk about things like how comfortable people are playing with each other but as you and I both know, in any long-standing relationship you have with anyone, a friend or a coworker or a fellow musician or whatever it might be, there's often tension that gets introduced there too. Because at the same time as you know all of the cool things that you each do, you also have had chances to rub each other the wrong way over the last 20 years. And I wonder if that works its way into the music as well. The fact that it's you know it's not always laughing that sometimes people get angry at each other. Um, that's a, that's an interesting question. Um, I think as regards a trio that, that doesn't really enter into it. Um, if, if, if there's any anger, it's coming from the person who is also receiving it. Um, (laughs) why am I playing this? I always do this. Um, I think in the sextet, maybe I, I, I would never say that there's any anger, um, in that group. I would say that sometimes, um, some jokes, maybe certain certain members might get a, a little annoyed with, oh, not that quote again. Um, <laughs> sometimes I'm feeling that as I'm playing it. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, there there certainly have been uh, periods of time in the the sextet's history where we have had to work hard at at. Um, okay, recovering this. Yes, we haven't played in a while. Uh, you know, have we lost anything? Uh, have we developed habits that aren't so great? Um, yeah, so it certainly does take some reflection and, and some, some work, um, even though there's a level of comfort there. Uh, but yeah, I don't, don't think there'd be anything like anger that's, sure. uh, that's developed. I meant to ask you before when we were talking about the idea of of jokes in the sextet. Is it is it possible for you to describe in a way that those of us who aren't in the band can understand what one of those musical jokes might be, or even the nature of one, if not one a specific? Um, sure. Uh, well, I'm just thinking of this because it's probably the most uh, quoted thing that we play. Especially uh, Josh and I often play 
uh, the Marine Land jingle. Uh, this is a jingle. I'm not sure if it's still on, but it was certainly on um, in Rochester when I was growing up. Um, is it the Everyone Loves Marine Land? That, that's the one. Okay. Um, in Niagara Falls, Ontario, Marine Land is the place to go. Seeing friends you miss, a great big kiss. Everyone loves Marine Land. Oh, man, um, that is nostalgic. Wow. So, so something like that. Yeah. Well, my, my singing has drawn Albert Eiler the cat over here. He, he really likes that one. Um, but, yeah, so Josh and I often quote that, I mean, really excessively. Um, so that, that often enters in. There are a few other things like that. The way we end tunes um if if there's sort of a long drawn out ending and you're expecting it to end you might even want it to end and we just keep on going um and then maybe when we finally get to the real ending we um quote and quote and quote all sorts of tunes so that, that sort of thing um is is, is a typical uh respect joke i would say i remember um I think it was Shane Ensley from Kneebody, one of the Kneebody guys who was on this show, talking about uh, that they use particular musical phrases to cue one another when to go to a nif- different section of the tune, or we're you know we're going to change up the feel. And so I play this phrase, and it doesn't necess- you know it's not necessarily what happens there every time, but when you hear this phrase, now we do X. Uh, does respect use these kind of quotes in in that way, or are they are they just for the the sake of kind of talking to each other on stage yeah for the most, yeah for the most part it's the latter um one thing that that respect does um still to some extent we did it really often in our early days was um a quote from another tune that was in the book um very early on we developed a book of 100 tunes or so but yeah within the first few months things that we had written or um really anything and so anyone at any point might quote another one of those and that might mean oh i'm just quoting this or it might mean hey let's go into this um and oftentimes uh it would be the latter so we would have uh, a set where maybe we didn't even come up with a set list to begin with but would go through you know 10 or 12 of our tunes just by referencing them um yeah, that still certainly happens to this day, um, you know, especially uh, when it's the, the whole original sextet and we can quote things that we know we don't need uh, to reference the sheet music for.
coming back to the trio record, do you play differently when it's just the trio or when you're playing in other settings than you do when it's in the full sextet? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, personally, I think when I'm on my game, I will uh, let a lot more space happen uh, in the sextet. Um, uh, I, I like to joke that one of my strengths as a pianist is strolling, that is, not playing. Um, <laughs> So, and, and this happened pretty early on in the Respect Sextet where, you know, we realized that, hey, there are six of us. That's, you know, a fairly large group for, for a jazz combo. Um, and so not all of us have to be playing at all, all times. And um, even if we are playing, we might not play our standard instrument. We might play some little percussion instruments or, or some toys or a melodica. Um, so to, to change the texture and uh, to change the, the timbre, uh, that was something that we did very early on. So I think in general, I probably uh, leave a lot more space um, in the sextet than I, I might in the trio. In the trio, sort of traditionally, the, the piano is, is at the forefront and often is the leader of the group. That's not necessarily the case here, but still the 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 typical role is is for the piano to, to you know play the melodies and sort of take charge and um, so I, I certainly occupy more of that role in the trio than I do in the sextet. You mentioned toys and other instruments, and uh, it's been a few years since you and I were in in regular contact, but the last time that was true, several years ago, you were pretty deep into building your own electronics, kind of noise boxes and other things like that. Are you still doing that, and can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I I still am in in fits and spurts. Um, uh, One thing that I've been working on for the last few years is building an analog modular synthesizer. Um, and, uh, it was maybe a a stupid idea for me to do this, um, (laughs) because I say several years, um, you know, when I have time and I have, uh, you know, uh, a week or two in the summer where I don't really have much else going on, I will, um, be in my, uh, little, uh, study working for 10 or 12 hours a day, um, soldering things and get a lot done. And then I won't have, uh, time to get back to it for a few months. So it's still in the process of being built, but it's it's nearing completion. Um, and one thing that I've, I've uh, done specifically with that is to incorporate types of sensors, uh, different types of sensors that uh, maybe are not already uh, easily commercially available. Um, and what's an example of one of those sure yeah well a, a, a simple example is is sort of a, like a joystick that's an example of a sensor or um say uh a mouthpiece that um, can sense your breath pressure and also your lip um, tension um uh things of that nature uh that i've been trying to incorporate not only into analog electronics but also hook up to my computer and then do um, synthesis on my computer uh, but I've certainly been for a while uh, interested in um, 
controlling electronic sound with gesture. Um, oftentimes, of course, the trope these days is uh, if you especially go to performance of electronic dance music, the, the performer, the DJ might not even really need to be there for the sake of the music. Um, in fact, um, I think it was Dead Mouse uh, a couple years ago wrote uh, sort of an inflammatory blog post where he admitted that, you know, anybody who has uh, uh, just the barest knowledge of some software can can do the performance. Um, so one of my interests has been really to to counter that in terms of electronic music performance, make it really obvious that this gesture results in this sound, for instance. And is that used in a in a textural way in the music? Are you playing melodies? Uh, how, how is it used? Yeah, it can be uh, used in, in, in both ways. In fact, um, on the Sextet record, uh, Respect in You, um, I, I, I brought one of my... Um, little uh, sensor devices and I hooked it up to my computer and and I think you hear it in um, I think you hear it in Academia Nut certainly at the beginning but I'm, I'm playing pitches. Um, and at another point in the performance, I forget exactly which tune, I'm, I'm sort of doing another mapping that is much more textural. So if you have um, sort of a physical uh, instrument uh, with, with certain sensors, then ultimately the onus is on you to figure out ways of mapping that, whether you're mapping it uh, using analog modules or you're mapping it um, in software as I was in this case. Um, and you can have several different mappings. You might have several different synthesis algorithms and different mappings for each one. Um, so while the sound might be vastly different uh, between different mappings and different uh, synthesis algorithms, the idea is that there's still a sort of similar behavior, a similar response between a certain gesture and the sonic result. And do you ever use either the things you build or software to uh, alter your piano playing in some way? Probably the, the clearest example of that that, that uh, is recorded is the record with Ryan Ferreira, um, in which I had some stuff running through my laptop, but the result was all acoustic. That is, I had um, speakers and transducers um, and electromagnetic drivers inside the piano that would then activate the strings or activate the soundboard. And so the, the sound was all coming out of the piano. Um, 
but some of that was being processed um, through my laptop. So you would you'd press a key on your laptop, which would then cause something to happen inside the piano because of these these physical triggers inside there. Right, and and I was also actually incorporating Ryan Ferreira's sound, so I would um, sort of uh, just have a, a buffer that would um, sort of record Ryan's sound, and then uh, I would delay that and sort of play it back through the piano. So one thing that, that results in that record is that there's um, a lot of sort of timbral cohesion. At times you can certainly tell, oh yes, this is the piano or this is the guitar. Um, but there's, uh, yeah, a lot of blending, um, in some sense, literally, because the guitar is coming out of the piano. Uh, you mentioned uh, Ryan Ferreira and your duo record, which is the, the third uh, release um, that's come out called Figure. And uh, for folks trying to, to connect all the various dots, well, Ryan was on uh, The Full Respect, if my memory yeah. serves correctly. And uh, Ryan also, for people who are listening to recent episodes of The Jazz Session, Ryan uh, figures in heavily with uh, Kat Torin and some of her recent work. And so we talk about Ryan on the Kat Torin episode, which was just very recently. Uh, but will you tell us about this duo record? Sure. Yeah. Um, this was uh, coming from a period of time where I was really working on building uh, new ways to use piano acoustically, but um, that had uh, vastly different uh, playing potential, different sonic outcomes. And so um, uh, as, as, as part of this, Ryan would come over and we would just improvise for a couple hours and um, it always worked um, from the first first time we got together and, and played like this it just works really beautifully um and so it was actually really easy to record two albums in one day we did the trio record in the morning and then ryan came in in the afternoon and we actually basically did a whole nother album that ended up being lost um but then oh my we, god yeah it, um there was a, a massive technical failure and and we lost some uh uh, a good chunk of a performance that uh, so what ended up on the record is what we recorded after that um, but and can you what was the when you hit record or the, <laughs> the second time in this case um, what what were you starting with um, it was a really interesting challenge because we were uh, we had knowledge that well, we just did something that was probably going to be pretty good and was completely lost. So 
Well, on one hand, we could try to recapture that, or we could just try to completely let that go and start afresh. Um, so it was a, its own distinct challenge. I, I imagine ultimately it ended up being a little column A and a little column B. Um, but I had a number of sort of electronic preparations that I was doing with the piano, and I, I'm sure part of me wanted to make sure that I used all of them, and I, I think I did. Um, I'm not sure if, if it was absolutely musically necessary or not, but that was certainly <laughs> um, one thing that I ended up doing. Uh, and were you was is this completely improvised? Did you did you discuss we're going to do this and then this, uh, or was it just okay hit record and let's see what happens? Right. Yeah, this was completely improvised. We did um, a few other shorter things maybe after this where we said, okay, let's. Um, let's do something different from that. Um, and so maybe just uh, in terms of the via negativa, but um, really compositionally, a certain amount comes from the setup. A certain amount comes from uh, the, the, the delay pedal that, that Ryan favors and the way that he, he plays using that pedal. Um, we had uh, two guitar amplifiers that were, uh, basically facing up on either side of a grand piano with its lid off. And we had, I think, a total of 18 mics just for guitar and piano wow. um, uh, positioned all around the piano, positioned um, in different spaces in the room above the guitar amps. Um, and then uh, really specifically uh, the setup that I, I was working on with piano. I mentioned the way that I was sort of using Ryan's sound in the piano I was using things uh, like e-bows, which are these electronic bows that guitarists often use um, sort of to, to sustain a sound. It uh, ends up sounding often sort of violin-like. Um, I, I built about 12 of those and controlled them from a little keyboard so I can have really long, sustained tones on the piano, um, and I'm still sort of playing it physically. Um, and yeah, a few uh, other things that I developed. So, um, in a certain respect, that's compositional. Uh, but aside from that, the actual performance, we just improvised. Was your move into building and then using other people's built electronics, was that, did you reach some place where you realized that there's more that I'm hearing that I can just cause the piano to do and I need something else? Or is there another reason for your, your interest in that world? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there certainly is a, a lot that I like that the piano is not easily able to do. Uh, I, I realized this certainly early on with respect. And I also remember a, a specific time that Josh and Eli and I were um, just uh, jamming with Michael Moore in Amsterdam. And at a certain point, um, I think Michael Moore was playing clarinet and Josh was um, playing uh, tenor and Eli was playing trumpet. And they were all doing these sort of uh, glissandi. They were all bending the notes and um, sort of chirping like birds. And, um, and I just didn't know how I could participate in that sound world. Um, and in general, I, I've been drawn in the last many years towards more textural and uh, timbrely focused music. And as it's normally played, the piano um, 
is really limited temporally. Um, so certainly one of the things that I was trying to do uh, in this record with Ryan was come up with uh, new ways of playing the piano that results in different um, timbres, different um, amplitude envelopes. Um, that's certainly something that I'm, I'm trying to address in various ways, building this analog modular synthesizer, um, some of the things that I'm now working on in software. Uh, because, yeah, I part of me, a significant part of me is um, not totally fulfilled by the piano. Certainly one simple answer to my next question is, well, it's just how my brain works. But are there other things to which you can ascribe the the inventiveness of the music that you like to play? I mean, you and I grew up in essentially the same part of the country. And, you know, it's I mean, it's just your typical suburbia. And it's not it's not a place that's like known in some way for crazy experimental music. And so it's obvious that, of course, anybody who comes from this place would play this way. I mean, it seems like there must have been some point in your life where something or a combination of things made you realize that you you wanted more out of music than just like playing changes and that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm not sure if there was one particular moment uh, that that happened, but I can certainly remember a period of time over which I, in my listening habits, just really tried to challenge myself. If I heard that some people were raving about a certain musician and I had never checked out uh, that person's music, I would try to understand what it was going on. Um, what do people uh, hear in this music? Um, and oftentimes I wouldn't get it on first listening. I would come back to it you know, time and time again. And maybe the, the third or fourth time over the course of a couple of years, I would uh, something would click and oh I am now hearing this my ears have grown um, and that was my main uh, approach to expanding my my listening habits for several years certainly all throughout high school and and much of uh, my undergrad I was just uh, there's something out there that I don't really know yet um, let's check it out if, if other people some other people really like this what is it about it can I by just listening to it enough and paying uh, close attention to it, can I learn to understand this or appreciate this? Um, and certainly, you know, I also had, um, you know, friends who were a couple years older than me with whom I played that would bring things in and, hey, have you checked this out? Um, you know, listening to the radio, um, Rick Petrie's show in Rochester in all languages um, that was one place. Uh, I might be just driving around Rochester and in the middle of the day when it was first on WRUR and then later on uh, Jazz 90.1, um, you could turn in and you might not have heard of any of these musicians before. And, and it was just really, really interesting stuff. And he was curating his selections so well. Um, yeah, so that was certainly um, invaluable as well. 
as uh, as the name of one of your cats implies, uh, Misha Mangelberg looms pretty large in this picture. Will you tell folks who Misha is for people who might not know, and then talk about kind of your introduction to to Misha and ICP and and what that led to? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, um, Misha Mangelberg is uh, just a fantastic, really influential uh, Dutch uh, jazz pianist. Um, he is. Um, by this point, I don't know. He's he's in his mid eighties or so, um, mid late eighties, and uh, first came to sort of international prominence with Eric Dolphy's Last Date. He and Han Benink were um, sort of the the Dutch part of the the rhythm section there, um, and uh, founded uh, ICP, the Instant Composers Pool, and the ICP Orchestra. Um, not long after that, and they are still going strong. Um, Misha has had some health issues in the past few years, unfortunately, but, um, he still has a wonderful spirit. ICP orchestra is actually going to be playing some gigs in the U S soon. They're playing at uh, roulette in New York, uh, later this week. Um, and one thing that, that drew us to the music of, of Misha Mangelberg and a lot of other Dutch musicians was their, uh, incorporation of humor and, of a very, um, very wide uh, worldview in their performance. I was absolutely blown away the first time that I saw Han Benink play. Han is a, a terrific drummer and uh, really comes out of swing, and he swings really, really hard. Um, and then when you least expect it, he might um, just uh, get out of his, uh, get off his stool and go backstage and come out with a broom, riding his broom, um, maybe sweeping the floor, uh, certainly bordering on performance art. And uh, I think the first time that I saw Han play, I, I my eyes were just completely opened. I, I realized, oh, you don't necessarily just have to sit down at your instrument and play very seriously uh, for the entire performance. You can you can get up. You can do other things. You can use sound sources that might be in the hall. Um, the options are, are really limitless. Um, so, so certainly from a, a performance perspective, that was highly influential. And um, just the incorporation of humor, as Misha says, um, you know, uh, in, in everyday life, oftentimes you're having a, a vulgar thought or doing something vulgar um, at the same time that you're having a philosophical thought. Um, these, these things can coexist. So if they can do that in life, why not in art? So that's one thing that I think came across um, very early on to, uh, to the music of respect as well. What's happening in your life uh, these days? Uh, certainly academics are, are back and playing a part again. Will you tell about that? Right, yeah. So I'm, I'm working on finishing up a doctorate in composition at CUNY Graduate Center. I'm just starting work on my dissertation now, and I'm uh, looking at uh, uses of musical instruments in experimental electroacoustic improvisation. I, I need to find a, a sexy name for that um, <laughs> to put before a colon. Um, so I'm still working on that part of it. But um, yeah, and I'm also working on, on um, writing music. Uh, one of the things that I'm, I'm doing involves use a, using uh, software to, to write sort of computer-assisted compositions that will then be played by a quote-unquote jazz group um and i'm also working on things that will process live sound and 
uh, will generate um, the sound. Um, right, so that's, uh, yeah, those are some of my, my main concerns um, at the moment. Um, I've, I've been teaching at Baruch College uh, for the past three years, and I'm also currently leading an ensemble at Brooklyn College, the Brooklyn Electroacoustic Ensemble, and uh, that group has its uh, semester and performance on a Tuesday night of this week at Brooklyn College. And um, I guess beyond that, my main performance uh, vehicle, besides respect for the past several years, has been with the Claudia Quintet. Uh, I've been playing accordion with the Claudia Quintet uh, for, uh, I guess, the past five years. And in fact, this week, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, the Claudia Quintet will be performing at Cornelia Street Cafe um, and we'll be doing a live recording uh, for a record that will come out on the cuneiform um, at some point in the near future. That was a gig that originally started with you filling in for someone, right? And then became your, your permanent gig? Right. In fact, uh, uh, the guys in the Claudia Quintet, uh, John Hollenbeck, has, has led the group for 16 or 17 years or so. They visited Eastman when Respect was was there. And in fact, um, I, I met with uh, the guys for lunch at Java's. And then that night they came to uh, Respect's gig. Um and so we first met met then. It was boy at this point close to fifteen years ago. Um, and then yeah, five five or six years ago, uh, John called me and said, "Hey, uh, would you be able to do a, a rehearsal just in case we ever need a sub?" And I said, "Sure, absolutely, yeah." And so I learned all this music and and we did a rehearsal. It was an all sub rehearsal um, since you know. Um, sometimes not everybody in the group is able to make it and you don't want to turn down a tour um, if, if that happens. Um, so we had an all sub rehearsal and uh, then I didn't hear from John in a year or so. Um, I thought, okay, well, maybe uh, nothing's going to happen from that. And then he called and said, hey, um, I might need you for some things. Uh, the first thing would be in a couple months, uh, a European tour. Are you available? I said, ah, absolutely. Um, and at the time, uh, Ted Reichman, who had been the accordionist, uh, really, um, from the group's inception, he was actually the accordionist in a, a precursor to the group, um, uh, along with Ruben Radding on bass. Um, Ted was, was having a baby and wasn't able to do this tour. So I filled in, um, and, uh, I guess a short time later, Ted decided that, uh, he wanted to do more, uh, film scoring. He was getting really busy with film scoring and also teaching, um, in Boston. And so I've been playing with the group now for about five years. Um, and it's been a real, real fun experience. Well, it, it's all very exciting. The records are great. I'm, I'm really happy so much uh, music from from you and the trio and Ryan and, and the Sextet is all coming out uh, for folks to listen to. Uh, there'll be links so that people can uh, go check this music out in the show notes of this show. My guest is Red Warenga. And uh, Red, it's great to talk to you again. And I, I wish you all the best. And uh, thanks, for, thanks for talking to us on the Jazz Session. Thanks, Jason. Always a pleasure talking to you.
Thanks so much to Red Warenga for being on the show today. Remember to visit the links in the show notes to go to the Respect Sextet site. Get all three new albums. Trust me, they're all worth it. Thanks to Dave Rabel for designing the show's logo. You can find The Jazz Session on Facebook at facebook.com slash thejazzsession. Check out my stand-up comedy at firstlaughs.com. Follow me on Twitter at Jason D. Crane. View uh, essays, poetry, all kinds of stuff at jasoncrane.org. And if you need some PR work done and you're a musician or an artist, check out cranewrites.com. Thanks so much for listening. Come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye.